0: Please open your copies of God's Word to the book of Romans. We're in the middle of Romans chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 27. But as is our custom, we'll start reading at the text we meditated on last week. So we're going to start reading at Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So we'll read 12 through 27. And you'll remember where we are Um, after um, a prolonged introduction. We've come to the point where Paul's really looking at the life of a believer. And specifically, he's looking at um, the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believer. You might remember at one point in the last couple of weeks, I said that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is mentioned about 20 times in Romans chapter 8. And we kind of see that uh, today. We see... Paul talking again about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, with that introduction, let's read. We're going to again begin reading at Romans chapter 8, verse 12. This is God's inspired word. So, then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And here we'll end reading God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and minds. Let's come to him in prayer and ask that he'll do just that. Lord, we um, do uh, come to you with humility. Lord, we'd ask that you would forgive us. It hasn't uh, missed our attention that we struggle with sin, that we struggle with pride, uh, that uh, we struggle to hear that we are weary of spirit, Lord, there are many distractions too. So many things pressing from last week, so many things coming in the weeks to come. Lord, we do pray that you would help us, that you would help us silence these outside pressures and focus on your word. Oh Lord, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear, that we would hear what you are telling us. Lord, speak, give us ears to hear. We'd ask for your grace and mercy in this way. And oh Lord, we'd ask it, for Jesus' glory. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, they say that one of the hardest things about learning a foreign language is learning idioms. Imagine if you were new to America and you're just learning the language and then uh, you start in your conversations coming across some of the Kind of crazy things we say, right? Like, don't worry, it's a, it's a piece of cake. Or he, he's gonna hit the hay. Uh, Break a leg. How about, how about that one? Or what about this one? Uh, Bite the bullet. You can see how someone who's just learning the language would be super uh, confused by these things because he's just translating word for word, taking things uh, too literally, and there's another phrase that someone might run into, and it, it's, uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You've heard that one, of course. And what does that mean? What, what is that communi- communicating? Now, when someone says there's a light at the end of the tunnel, they're saying that there is a reason to believe that a bad situation is ending. Seeing the light at the end of the tunnel uh, means you've seen something that gives you some kind of hope for the future after a long time of experiencing difficulty. And the Apostle Paul offers us a similar concept, hope in the midst of challenges. In verse 18, you'll notice he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. This text teaches that during tough times, believers can find comfort and strength by looking forward with hope and by trusting in the Holy Spirit's help. Today, we're gonna delve into this idea. Our focus is on discovering how this passage guides us in seeking comfort and encouragement during periods of suffering. The scriptures acknowledge plainly and openly that we suffer, don't they? They don't hide that. God isn't hiding that from you. One bit life can be super, super hard. And as this text begins, we're confronted with the groaning reality. That's our first heading. The groaning reality. In the beginning of Romans eight talks about the incredible freedom the Holy Spirit brings to us. No condemnation in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. You're set free once and for all, declared righteous on account of Christ, set free. Romans eight explains how the Spirit sets us free through Christ, and then shows us the amazing things the Spirit gives us when we're set free. And as we follow the ideas in these verses, Paul talks about how we become children of God and share in the blessings of Christ. Uh, we have a familial connection as believers that allows us a close and personal connection relationship with God, which we express by addressing him as Abba, Father. And we talked about that phrase last week. It's an Aramaic term. It's something, it's like a really intimate, intimate term that any little child would call their mother or their father. What do they call you? Dad, right? Daddy, Papa, Mama. It's an intimate term. This is what God is telling you to refer to me as. Call me father. Call me father. And then in verses 17 and 18, Paul unveils the profound truth that suffering is an integral part of our journey as believers. And groaning isn't confined to human suffering. Creation itself joins in that expression. Paul's imagery of creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth portrays an intense anticipation for something better. An intense anticipation for something better. In verse 20, Paul writes, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The natural world around us is in a state of longing and anticipation, Paul compares this longing to a kind of groaning, which is the universal language of yearning that both creation and believers share. When something isn't right and when we're eagerly waiting for something better, we often express ourselves in feelings of groans and sighing, don't we? Creation longs for its own renewal. Creation longs for freedom from decay. Creation has been affected by the consequences of sin and has been subject to bondage and corruption. We see that in the text. This means that the fallen state of the world, marred by brokenness, And suffering and decay is not what it was meant to be. It's not what it was meant to be. And you'll notice that Paul refers to the fallen creation as being in a state of futility. That's a word he uses, right? It's in a state of futility. It doesn't work as intended because of sin's influence. But this bondage to decay isn't the end of the story God subjected creation to this state in hope. Do you see that? Look at the end of verse 20. He subjected it to this in hope. This points to a purposeful plan of God where creation's current suffering is not without a future promise. There is hope. Suffering and corruption are not permanent Paul likens creation's situation to a temporary condition waiting for a transformative event. You see that he compares it to being set free from bondage and corruption. That's the language he uses, isn't it? This implies a future state of renewal and restoration where creation will be liberated from its current brokenness. The fallen world is not left in despair, but is eagerly anticipating renewal. Creation's groaning is a sign of its yearning to be liberated from decay and restored to its intended glory. We have something in common with creation, don't we? We groan. We groan. And we long for transformation. We long for renewal. We long for glorification. Just as creation eagerly anticipates its liberation from decay, we yearn for our full transformation as children of God. And Paul wants believers to keep looking forward with hope You'll notice that he makes a powerful comparison between our present suffering and our glorious future that is awaiting us in verse 18. Look what Paul writes. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's highlighting the vast difference in significance between or from what we're going through now and the incredible blessings that lie ahead. It's like saying the temporary discomfort we experience today is not worth comparing to the amazing goodness, the great things that are coming. God wants you To remember this while you struggle, he wants you to remember that while your struggles are real, they're only temporary chapters in your story. The key here is maintaining an eternal perspective. When you're faced with hardships, it's easy to get caught up in the difficulty of the moment, it's so easy. But God is reminding you that these challenges aren't the final word. They're like a short rain shower compared to the everlasting sunshine he's promised you in glory. And remember, believers aren't just recipients of some far-off promise. We're co-heirs with Christ, This means we're sharing in his inheritance, partaking in the same future he's destined for. Think of it as being handed a preview of the most thrilling movie ever made. The suffering scenes now are brief and necessary to the plot, but they're nothing compared to the epic ending. That is guaranteed. So while suffering is real, It's not our permanent destination. Paul's urging us to lift our eyes from our temporary troubles and to focus on eternal transformation. Just as Christ was gloriously raised from death to life, we too will experience a transformation free from suffering, full of glory, and forever united to our Savior with the understanding that our present suffering is not the final chapter in our story. Paul shifts our focus to explore the Holy Spirit and how he helps us navigate the challenges and embrace these promises. This transition leads us to our second heading, the Holy Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit's help. We often find ourselves in need of help, don't we? Very often, we find ourselves in need of help. We frequently encounter situations where seeking help becomes essential. From something as simple as asking directions from uh, a friend who is familiar with the place that you're going to seeking advice from a coworker on a challenging task, we regularly rely on others' expertise and experience. And continuing that theme, the text reveals how the Holy Spirit helps us by empowering us to hold on to the promise of future glory while enduring the challenges of the present. In verse 23, Paul writes And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of. Of our bodies. When Paul speaks of having the first fruits of the Spirit, he's referring to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Just as the first fruits of the harvest in ancient times promise the full harvest to come, the Spirit's presence is a guarantee of future blessings and transformation that believers will experience. Our hope as believers is deeply rooted in the promises of God. And the Holy Spirit's presence within us is a tangible assurance of God's commitment to us. It's like a down payment on a glorious future that God has planned. This hope sustains us through challenges as we trust in God's faithfulness and await the fulfillment of his promises. And do you see that phrase, redemption of our bodies there in verse 23? That points to the ultimate transformation that believers will undergo. It refers to the time when our physical bodies, which are marred by sin and decay, will be fully redeemed and made new. One day our bodies will be completely renewed. And they won't just be completely renewed. They're gonna be changed, aren't they? If you read 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see that Paul says our bodies, these bodies will be raised, but they are gonna be glorified. There was a guy I used to live next to who had a home and it's less expensive to remodel a home than it is to build one from the ground up. And so what they did is they knocked down the entire house and they left one wall, one wall. And they built a mansion where this little, um, you know, humble two-bedroom, one-bath house used to be that he inherited. It was just a small little house. It was the same house. And it was raised to something glorious and magnificent. That is what happens with your body. Your body will be buried. It will be raised again. It will be your body, but it will be restored and it will be glorified. It will be glorified. This redemption is linked to our adoption. Believers aren't just recipients of salvation. We're also embraced as children of God. We're part of God's family. Being adopted as God's children, is significant. We talked about that last week. It speaks of our intimate relationship with God, our inheritance as co-heirs with Christ, and our identity as his beloved. As his beloved. And looking forward to this complete realization, to the complete realization of these things, that it shapes, it shapes how we look at ourselves. It shapes our identity, and it gives us a true sense of purpose. It fuels our perseverance. It molds our character. It directs our lives toward living as children of God. In verses 24 and 25, look what Paul writes. He says, For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This text provides a profound insight into the nature of hope, patient waiting, and the assurance of God's promises. Our hope isn't rooted in what we can already see. True hope is anchored in promises that are unseen yet assured. After all, if we could see something, we wouldn't need to hope for it. It would be a reality before us. Hope is closely tied to faith. It's the forward-looking aspect of our faith, the assurance that what God has promised will indeed come to pass. This kind of hope is based on God's faithfulness and the reliability of his promises You see, our hope rests on the character of the one who makes the promises, not on the visible circumstances we're currently facing. This kind of hope naturally leads to patient waiting. Patient waiting is a powerful discipline, discipline that aligns our hearts with God's timing and his purpose. It's not easy, is it? It's not passive, but actively holding on to the expectation of God's promises despite your current struggles. The tension between our challenges and God's promises cultivate this kind of patient perspective. This patient perspective enables us to endure hardships with endurance and grace It empowers us to keep moving forward even when progress seems slow and when circumstances are tough. It's like a marathon runner who keeps his eyes fixed on the goal line knowing that with every step he comes closer to the goal. And this perspective doesn't weaken our hope. Rather, it strengthens our anticipation for the future just as a sunrise is more appreciated after a long night our patient waiting intensifies our excitement for the fulfillment of god's promises i could tell you i've i've known that as i've moved here to indiana the winter last year was long and when the winter was long i was tired of seeing just these trees that looked like they were burnt there was not a leaf in sight And the longer that winter goes, the more precious it is in your eyes as you start to see those first leaves uh, begin to blossom. So these verses remind us that through the Holy Spirit's help, our hope is built on the unseen but unshakable foundation of God's promises Our patient waiting amid challenges is an act of faith that strengthens our hope and deepens our longing for the transformation that God has prepared. It's a dance. It's a dance of anticipation where each step of patience brings us closer to that grand moment of glory that lies ahead. I'll tell you what. When you're suffering... The last thing you want to do is dance. You don't have the heart for it. You can't physically do it. When you're suffering, it's exhausting. It's it's taxing. You're worn out and weary. And it's no longer some philosophical point where you can separate the body and the soul. No, they are intimately bound together, aren't they? And when you're suffering, it affects every aspect of you. You're weary physically and emotionally and spiritually. Quite frankly, you wonder if you're going to make it. You wonder how long you can hold on, if you can carry on, Amidst this weariness and struggle, a comforting truth emerges, the Spirit's intervening grace. Just when it feels like you can't carry on, the Spirit steps in with his sustaining presence, providing intercession beyond words and filling you with strength to endure. This leads us to our third heading, the Spirit's intervening grace, the Spirit's Intervening grace. Occasionally, I have found myself in uh, the humbling situation of being in a hospital uh, with someone who is very unwell, and sometimes um, these cases have been an emergency. Sometimes uh, the patient can't communicate and a family member there is present comforting them, uh, rubbing their head, trying to do anything they can to relieve the pain and interceding every time the doctors and nurses come in. They provide the doctor with crucial information they need to know about their loved one. And we see something similar in our text. When we're groaning, when we're suffering and unable to get the words out, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. In verse 26, look what Paul writes. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit is a compassionate helper who comes alongside believers in their weaknesses. And you'll notice the word likewise at the beginning of that sentence. This links, uh, this links the Spirit's role with that shared groaning we've already discussed. Just as creation... And believers are longing for something greater amidst their struggles. The Spirit, too, plays a role in this anticipation, longing for relief, longing for complete transformation. The Spirit understands and empathizes with your struggles because He's intimately because he intimately knows your hearts and your experiences. He knows the depth of your weaknesses, including moments when you are at a loss for words, when you can't pray, when you're so crushed you don't even feel like praying. Imagine a close friend who understands your emotion Even when you struggle to express them, the Holy Spirit does that on a divine level. When you're unsure how to pray or can't find the right words, the Spirit steps in, interceding for you. He understands your innermost feelings, your innermost needs and desires. The spirit expresses your deepest longings and needs to God with a depth of understanding that goes beyond words. It's as if he takes our inexpressible emotions and he wraps them up in the language of the heart and he sets them before the throne of God. These groanings too deep for words symbolize a unique form of communication. It's like a heart-to-heart conversation where words fail, but emotions and intentions are fully conveyed. The Holy Spirit doesn't just translate our words. He interprets the very essence of your being, your joys, sorrows, and needs. He expresses those to the Father, to the Son, He translates our hearts' cries to God when we can't find the words ourselves. The Spirit bridges the gap between our limitations and God's perfect understanding. He provides a unique form of comfort and support, reminding us that even in our weaknesses, we're not alone. The Spirit's intercession reassures us that our struggles are heard and understood by the very one who loves us and cares for us deeply. And as you you look at the text, you'll notice something else about the Spirit's intercession. Verse 27 says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit's intercession aligns perfectly with God's will. The phrase, he who searches hearts, refers to God, who intimately understands the depth of our hearts and desires. The Spirit's role as an intercessor ensures that our prayers are in harmony with God's purposes. Imagine having a close friend who knows you so well that they can finish your sentences. Similarly, the Holy Spirit understands the mind and intentions of God with unparalleled depth. When the Spirit intercedes for us, he communicates our needs and desires in line with God's will. This divine alignment guarantees that our prayers reflect God's intentions for our lives. Enduring suffering. When words are scarce and our hearts are heavy, the Spirit's intercession becomes a lifeline. It's like having a friend who understands our pain without need for explanation. The Spirit's understanding And alignment with God's will assures us that our cries are heard and that they're understood and presented to the Father with divine precision. Not only does the Spirit communicate our needs to God, but His role extends to empowering us and strengthening us through our difficulties. Think of it as a coach who not only listens to your struggle, but also offers the perfect strategy to overcome obstacles. The Spirit does exactly this. He intercedes for us according to God's will, but he also provides us with courage, endurance, and resilience to face our trials. During suffering when your own Strength wanes, the Spirit steps in with divine empowerment. He uplifts our spirit and guides us through challenges. It's like having a companion who not only understands your pain, but also provides strength to endure and persevere. And the intimate care we receive through the Holy Spirit's intercession are all blessings made possible because of what Christ did for us in his atoning sacrifice. Jesus' death and resurrection paved the way for believers to have a close relationship with God. The Spirit's intercession is an extension of Christ's work. Jesus left us with a constant companion, a helper, and an advocate who continues his work in us. Jesus not only secured our salvation, but also opened the door for us to experience God's intimate care and presence through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's role is a continuation of Christ's ministry, reminding us of the depth of God's love and the richness of the blessings we have as children of God. You see, as we reflect on the message of Romans 8, we find a resounding assurance that there indeed is a light at the end of the tunnel. Just as the idiom suggested a hopeful end to difficulties, this text reminds us that our groaning reality is not the final chapter in our story. Suffering and decay are not the final reality for creation or for believers. While our world is marred by brokenness and groaning, God has a plan to bring about renewal and restoration. Believer, maintain an eternal perspective. Your struggles are temporary and you are co-heirs of Christ. Recognize that present sufferings, though real, pale in comparison to the glorious future God has prepared for you. Cultivate a hopeful heart by embracing the promise of redemption and adoption. Our hope is based on God's faithfulness and the reliability of his promises. Wait patiently on him. patient waiting aligns your heart with God's timing and purposes. And remember the spirit is interceding for you when you're unable to find words in your suffering. He conveys conveys your deepest emotions and needs to God. This divine communication bridges your limitations and God's understanding aligning your prayers with his will. Spirit empowers us. He offers strength and resilience amid challenges. And there will be challenges. And this intimate care allows us to experience God's presence through the Spirit's on-growing ministry, reminding us of his boundless love and blessings. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are acquainted with suffering. And we know you are. And we're thankful for that, Lord Jesus. We know that you understand. And we are grateful that you sent the helper. Holy Spirit, we are grateful for the work you are doing in our hearts and in our lives. And we are thankful for texts like these that remind us to keep our eyes on the eternal to cry out to you uh, with all of our ability um, asking for help and for relief for rescue for healing and yet knowing lord even in our weaknesses uh, knowing the holy spirit is praying that there is a divine trinitarian rescue underway is a great blessing to our hearts. Oh, Lord, encourage us. Help us to keep our eyes on you. We need your strength. We'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.